0: This is Classic Lutheran Preaching on LP 95.7, Lincoln, Nebraska. This is Pastor John Schmidt with an abridged reading of Martin Luther's sermon for the 24th Sunday after Trinity. This is from the John Nicholas Lenker collection published in 1905 and reissued by Baker Bookhouse in 1983. The scripture text for this sermon is Matthew chapter 9 beginning at verse 18. While he spake these things unto them, behold, there came a ruler and worshipped him, saying, My daughter is even now dead, but come and lay thy hand upon her, and she shall live. And Jesus arose and followed him, and so did his disciples. And behold, a woman who had an issue of blood twelve years came behind him, and touched the border of his garment, for she said within herself, If I do but touch his garment, I shall be made whole. But Jesus, turning and seeing her, said, Daughter, be of good cheer, thy faith hath made thee whole. And the woman was made whole from that hour. And when Jesus came into the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a tumult, he said, Give place, for the damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. But when the crowd was put forth, he entered in and took her by the hand, and the damsel arose, and the fame thereof went forth into all that land. This is our text. Dear friends, you know that the Gospel is nothing else than a sermon about one person who is called Christ. And although there are many other books written here and there, and many sermons preached by many different persons, both about the heathen and the Christians, yea, also about the Mother of God, St. Peter, angels, and many of the saints, yet they are not Gospels. For this alone is the true gospel which sets before us Christ and teaches the good things we may hope from him. Of course, there is also at times something in the gospel on John the baptizer, Mary, and the apostles. But this is not properly the gospel, for they are taken into consideration so as to more perfectly to indicate whence Christ came and what his office is. So Luke relates the history of John the baptizer from the beginning, his conception and birth, and that of the Virgin Mary all which is written not for their sake, but only for the sake of the one person, Christ, so that everything written in the gospel concerns this person, Christ, alone. In St. Paul's epistles, there is nothing written about the saints. All there is about Christ alone. The evangelists describe what miracles and wonders Christ performed, but they write of no work that John or Mary did, but only what Christ did, how he helped the people in body and soul, and how the people clung to him. For God has decreed it is his will that all should cling to the one man, Christ, to hope in him and hold fast to him if they would be saved. Thus they know nothing of anyone aside from Christ, who alone has been presented unto us by God as our mercy seat, as St. Paul writes in Romans 3. Hitherto one has clung to this saint, another to that, one has Mary, another St. Barbara, And there have been manifold sects and orders, but no one cared anything for Christ except for the name. We have had many mediators, all of whom we abandoned and held only to Christ. Therefore, St. Paul says in Romans 1 that the gospel was promised by God through the prophets concerning his Son, and he insists upon it so very strongly that nothing avails in the gospel except the one only person, Jesus Christ. He who knows this may well thank God that he knows where to place his comfort, help, and confidence, and he will then despise and cast away all sermons about other persons. For this reason the Lord is pictured to us in today's gospel mingling among the people, drawing all the world unto himself by his friendliness and comforting doctrine, so that they may cling to him with their hearts, depend upon his goodness, and hope to receive from him both spiritual and temporal treasures nor do you see him take anything from those he heals and helps. Yea, he receives nothing from them but scorn and mockery, as we shall hear. Good deeds proceed from him, but he receives mockery and scorn in return. Now this is preached and submitted to the whole world, that they may learn to know this man aright, and to know how to become Christians, not how to become good and innocent. Other doctrines outside of the gospel like the books of the heathen masters, insist that the people should through them become good. Again, the legends of the saints especially insist that the people are to live as the saints lived. To make good people does not belong to the gospel, for it only makes Christians. It takes much more to be a Christian than to be pious. A person can easily be pious, but not a Christian. A Christian knows nothing to say about his piety, for he finds in himself nothing good or pious. If he is to be pious, he must look for a different piety, a piety in someone else. To this end, Christ is presented to us as an inexhaustible fountain, who at times overflows with pure goodness and grace. And for such goodness and kindness he accepts nothing, except that the good people who acknowledge such kindness and grace thank him for it, praise and love him, although others despise him for it. This is what he reaps from it. So one is not called a Christian because he does much, but because he receives something from Christ, draws from him, and lets Christ only give to him. If one no longer receives anything from Christ, he is no longer a Christian. So that the name Christian continues to be based only on receiving, and not on giving and doing, and he receives nothing from anyone except from Christ alone. If you look at what you do, you have already lost the Christian name. It is indeed true that we are to do good works, help, advise, and give to others. But no one is called a Christian by reason of that, nor is he on that account a Christian. Therefore, if you wish to consider the word in its true meaning, you must identify a Christian by the fact that he only receives something from Christ, and has Christ within him. For This is what the word properly means. Just as a person is called white because of his white color, black because of his dark color, large because of his size, so also one is called a Christian because of Christ, who dwells in him and from whom he receives his blessings. So if one is called a Christian because of Christ, he is certainly then not a Christian because of his works. From this it also follows that no one is called a Christian by reason of his good works. If this be true, as it undoubtedly is, Then it must follow that our orders and sects do not belong under the Christian name, and they do not develop Christians. Therefore they are deceivers who preach or teach in the church and occupy themselves with commandments, works, and statutes that accomplish nothing. Although they pretend to be Christians, nevertheless they still, under this name, attempt to burden and torment us with their commands and works. By reason of my works I may well be called one who fasts, one who prays, or a pilgrim, but not a Christian. If you were to weave all your works together and add to them all the works of others, you would still not have Christ, and from these things you could not be called a Christian. Christ is something different and higher than law and the commandments of God. He is the Son of God, who is ready alone to give and not to receive. If I am so wise as to take what he offers, I have him, and if I have him, I am then justly called a Christian. Thus you have the distinction as to what a Christian is and what Christ is. Now this gospel teaches us that Christ is the greatest and highest person, renowned in all the world, not in order to terrify the people, but to pour out all earthly and heavenly gifts, so that all men may depend upon and trust in him, and continually receive from him alone what they need. If sin terrifies my conscience and preachers of the law come and want to help me with their works, they will accomplish nothing. Christ alone can help here and no one else. Yea, the others only make it worse, even if they were Peter or Paul or even Mary, the mother of God herself. Christ alone can do this, being ordained of God to the end that he should send forth the good news in which is proclaimed how my sins are to be forgiven gratuitously, without any work or merit on my part, only and simply out of pure grace through faith in this Christ. If now I accept what is preached, I have a comfort that my sins are forgiven me before God and before the world. If I at heart hold fast to this, then I am a Christian, and for this I thank God through Christ, who at all times gives me his Holy Spirit and grace, that sin may not harm me either here or at the day of judgment. If I fear death and do not like to die, I find in this Christ a comfort and medicine, so that I care nothing for death. If terrified at the anger of God, I have here a mediator. Many a one runs into the desert or puts on garments of coarse hair, and thinks he will force God not to be angry with him, but it will amount to nothing. Whoever has not this Christ, on him the wrath of God remains forever, for so it is decreed, John chapter 3. Therefore, whoever would have a joyful conscience that does not fear sin, death, hell, nor the wrath of God, dare not reject this mediator, Christ. For he is the fountain that overflows with grace, that gives temporal and eternal life. Only take it to heart and hold it forth, and you will receive all. He gushes and flows forth and can do nothing else but only give, flow, and gush forth if you can only believe it. You justly deserve that people should call you a Christian when you are called a Christian by virtue of what you receive from Christ. If not, and you want to give him so much, you are no Christian. This is the rich, precious word which St. Paul praises so highly and can never sufficiently praise that he so graciously gives us his Son to pour out his grace over all who receive it. Romans 3 and 8 and Galatians 3. From this it further follows, when a Christian does good works and shows love to his neighbor, that he does not thereby become a Christian or pious, but before this is done he must have been a Christian and pious. He indeed does good works, but his good works do not make him a Christian. The tree brings or yields good fruit, but the fruit does not make the tree good. So also here no one becomes a Christian through his works but through Christ. From this you understand what kind of people Christians are and what their kingdom is, namely that they are a multitude that cling to Christ and have one spirit and the same gifts with him. And through this all, Christians are equal and no one has any more of Christ than another. St. Peter is more than the thief on the cross. Mary, the mother of God, is no more than the sinner Mary Magdalene. In external acts and works, of course, there is a difference among them. For the Virgin Mary had a greater work to do than Mary Magdalene. St. Peter a greater work than the thief on the cross. This is the case when we reckon according to works, but by virtue of our works we are not Christians. The Virgin Mary is not a Christian on account of her great work that she bore in her body Christ, such a costly and inexpressible treasure, as Christ himself said to the woman in Luke 11, who cried aloud among the people to the Lord, Blessed is the body that bore thee in the breast which thou hast sucked. Jesus said, Yes, blessed are they, said he who hear the word of God and keep it. Here you see he exalts believers above his mother. For Christians are called Christians because they believe in Christ. Virgin and mother are two beautiful names, but they are nothing in comparison to the name of believers or Christians. Again, St. Paul is so proud that in his epistle to the Galatians, chapter 2, he gives the office of the great and high apostles a reputation which amounts to little before God, except as it brings a blessing and is of service to others. Therefore we are all alike through faith in Christ. Although St. Peter has a stronger faith than I, it is still the same faith in Christ. For the Father offers his Son Christ to the promiscuous crowd, and whoever receives him gets the whole christ whether in weakness or in strength it makes no difference the woman in this gospel who had been sick for a long time lays hold of christ as well as mary the virgin his mother did therefore christians have the same spirit one is as high born as another saint peter must call me his brother and i can also call him my brother Yea, christ receives us unto himself and holds us as his brothers As after his resurrection he said to Mary Magdalene, Go unto my brethren and tell them, I ascend unto my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God, as he says in John 20. And St. Paul calls Christ the firstborn among many brethren, Romans 8. Of this he speaks very beautifully in his first epistle to the Corinthians, chapter 8, where he speaks of weak brethren thus, But take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to the weak. For if a man see thee who hast knowledge sitting at meat in an idol's temple, will not his conscience, if he is weak, be emboldened to eat things sacrificed to idols? For through thy knowledge he that is weak perisheth, the brother for whose sake Christ died, and thus sinning against the brethren and wounding their conscience when it is weak, ye sin against Christ. The summary of this entire gospel is that we learn to know Christ aright not only that we have the mere name, but know that we have all things from him. If we are Christians, we have all things, and God is our Father, and we are lords of all things in heaven and on earth. This no work of ours can bring to pass, be it as great and costly as it may. Now you see how far they are from the Christian name, who live under the dominion of the Pope. The Gospel preaches nothing but the one person, Christ. Not even Mary, much less the Pope, or any work, be it as costly as it can. It must offer Christ alone and no one else, whom God the Father has sent among us, only that we should draw all from him and wait for his grace and goodness. For here you see Christ preaches the gospel to the people. Now preaching is no insignificant work, for here he does us a great service, and that he becomes our teacher and instructs us how we may come to the knowledge of himself. This is a part of his great grace and kindness. While he is here on earth, he does not cease to teach, so that we may receive him as our Savior and Redeemer. Afterwards, he follows us with his good works, which he manifests everywhere to everyone as he needs. You find no one in the gospel who ever asked anything of the Lord, whose help was denied and not given. As many as came to him, blind, deaf, lame, palsied and dropsical, he received and helped all as they desired. And healed them from all diseases as luke six says and all the multitude sought to touch him for power came forth from him and healed them all thus he does also to this woman the woman hears him preach and perceives he is a good indulgent man who appears friendly toward all the world then she also began to cleave to him and take courage to think because he cast none away from him she too was welcome to enjoy his friendship and goodness Therefore she lets all the apostles go and casts her heart's trust and confidence only on the Lord and says to herself, If I do but touch his garment, I shall be made whole. Only see what a heart the woman had. Hers is indeed a noble great faith and confidence. She did not think otherwise in her heart than that he would certainly help her if she only touched his garment with her hand. And yet she is not so bold as to approach him openly. She regards herself as unworthy to speak to him or look at him, for she knows that she deserved nothing and never did anything for the Lord. Therefore she so plans as to approach him from behind, falls down at his feet and merely touches the hem of his garment. There is nothing but mere awkwardness and unworthiness here. Who had merited that the Lord should permit the gospel to be preached to these people? There is no preparation, no work, Yet the poor woman is there and hopes to obtain great things from the Lord, that he would release her from her sickness. She had had an issue of blood for about twelve successive years. How could she earn anything under such circumstances, or how could she, because of her disease, be worthy of anything? Of course she was worthy, but only to receive and not to give, for at that time she was not able to give the least thing this is the true preparation for the grace and goodness of christ that i feel my need of it and then it harmonizes beautifully that the two meet together the rich and the poor christ and the sinner yet it is a great art to persuade people that they are poor and in need of grace it is a difficult matter nor does the devil permit it to be done but always diverts the people to their own good works that they may under no circumstances receive the idea that they stand in need of the grace and mercy of Christ. The text says the wretched woman had the issue of blood for twelve years and to cure it had spent all her living upon physicians. And the more she spent for this purpose, the worse she became. Luke and Mark both especially refer to this and show thereby that the more the law and works are preached, the worse it becomes among us and we receive nothing from it but one harm and injury after another. The conscience can never be quieted by our good works. When one sin is expelled from the conscience, another soon enters. Yea, the medicine and the work often make a sin, where otherwise there is none, until we come to Christ. As this woman here, who had been sick so long and would never have received help had she never come to Christ, from whom she received her health without any work whatever, She gives him nothing, and only receives from him and allows him to give. As the gospel is represented in this woman, so it is also represented to us in the daughter of the ruler. This sinner of the synagogue, whom Mark calls Jairus, had a strong faith and confidence in the Lord that he would raise his deceased daughter to life. For had he not had such a disposition of heart toward him, he would not have come to him and requested a thing of him that was by nature impossible. Therefore in this he shows his faith. Now when the Lord observed the faith in him, he could not but do his will, and immediately arose and went with him. During his journey the history of this woman takes place, who had been sick for twelve years, as we have heard. And when Jesus came into the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a tumult, who were there in compliance with the law of Moses, and blew with horns and trumpets, as in our country the bells are rung, to call the people together, He commanded the people and the flute players to give place and said, The damsel is not dead but sleepeth, and they laughed him to scorn. This means, when the preaching of the word goes forth thus, that Christ is the man who helps and our works will not do it. Then the world cannot avoid it. It must laugh and scorn and be offended, as it says in 1 Corinthians 1. For it is not acceptable to the world that Christ should help us, As the people do here, who said without doubt, Alas, this is a grand master or a doctor, what shall he help? For he does not know what it is to sleep or to enter the grave. In the world the gospel must have the reputation of being a foolish sermon, despised and scorned. For the devil cannot hear that this preaching is honored in the world, for it brings no advantage to his kingdom. This he feels, of course, and hence he attacks it with all cunning so that he may hinder it and cause it to be worthless among his own followers, whose hearts he has entirely blinded and possessed, that the light of the gospel may not shine for them, as St. Paul says in Second Corinthians 4. For it is impossible that the preaching of Christ should not produce some fruit. It will not be preached in vain, Isaiah 55. Although there be but few who receive it, it matters not. As Satan feels it is a loss to him and that the preaching of the word is directed against his kingdom, he has no rest. He persecutes, despises, and attacks it on all sides, as he is at present raging and storms in all the world. For the preaching of Christ overthrows everything pleasing to the devil and the world, and what the world regards as the most holy and costly. For the world paints for itself a God who accepts our good works and is pleased with the mass. Vigils, foundations, rosaries, caps, pates, hempen and ropes, and what more may be the work of fools with which the Pope is employed. Now, when one comes and brings the gospel and preaches against this nonsense of the Pope, and he is obliged to do and says, It is nothing, it is a deception, it is opposed to Christ and the Scriptures, he must suffer himself to be called a heretic and a worthless fellow, a perverter of the people, and then they quite grandly assert, you want to rule the whole world? Do you think you are the wisest? Our forebears also were not fools. Many holy, pious people have done these works and preached to them. Should you first come to destroy all? This must not be. Then the raging and storming time begins with persecution and death, and the devil will claim he is right. Let it all go as it may. This is enough on today's gospel for the present. Mark well that you learn from the Gospels that all things are to be found in the one person who is called Christ. And remember, too, that a Christian receives his name alone from Christ. I do not say this in vain, for I know that it costs to keep it in temptation and in the battle of life. Let us call upon God for grace that we may take this in earnest and grasp it with our hearts. Amen. This has been a presentation of classical Lutheran preaching from the sermons of Martin Luther the John Nicholas Linker Collection of 1905 and reprinted by Baker Bookhouse in 1983.